Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and thanks for joining me here on the Bible and Life. My goal, my heart with this podcast is to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology. What I mean by blue jeans theology is theology in everyday dress, theology that's in the language of everyday life, theology that's uh, addressing the topics and the needs of everyday life for the whole goal that we should be able to follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. So that's what we're all about here on The Bible and Life. And I'm super grateful that you're here joining me on this episode and that we can spend some time together. Uh, just a few things that have been kind of updates or a few things that have been on my mind over the last little bit. One is I've got a free ebook on my website that has been up for just a couple weeks. It's a 30-page ebook, completely free. And it's really the, the same title as this podcast, Bible and Life, but it's a guide to he, both hearing and heeding the Bible. And what I mean by hearing and heeding is hearing has to do with understanding, listening closely, make sure we're hearing what the author is actually saying. But then that's only like the first part of Bible study. We've got to move from hearing it to heeding it. Bible study isn't done until we actually say, okay, that's what he said. Now, how do I put that into practice in my life? And that's the heeding it part. And so this little ebook is a guide to doing that well. So if that sounds like something that would be helpful to you, I think there's a lot of value in it. Totally free on my website. Just got to put in your email address and you'll get a link that goes to it. Should get redirected right to that page as soon as you uh, put the email in and click the little button. So that's on the website. So there's that. Uh, another thing that uh, is something that uh, I am working on is I'm going to be teaching 2 Corinthians this fall um, at Boise Bible College, where I still kind of teach occasionally as an adjunct. So I'm going to be teaching 2 Corinthians, which I've never taught 2 Corinthians at the college before. So I've been spending just a lot of extra time in 2 Corinthians, listening to it, reading it, praying through it, reading some commentaries now on it, uh, digging in, doing some study of it, and just writing down my thoughts and my notes so that I can be ready for the school year. And one of the things that has struck me with 2 Corinthians is, man, I wish I would have spent more time with it 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I, I think 2 Corinthians is a desperately needed book with a desperately needed message, particularly, not exclusively, but particularly for those who are in some sort of full-time ministry, paid ministry position, like pastors, preachers, youth ministers, people who, that's what they do for their living, for their job is ministry. I, I just think Paul's philosophy of ministry as expressed in the things he says in 2 Corinthians provides a much needed um, perspective and even in some cases correction to oftentimes the values of America that sometimes influence church and ministry in our culture. So just some things I've been thinking about. Um, and so if you're a pastor, if you're a church leader of some sort, I, I would just encourage you to dive into 2 Corinthians and read through that. I will be... Um, I will be teaching that at the college, like I said, but I'm going to be adding that to the listener's commentary probably next year in 2023. Maybe I might do it depending on how it works out as I teach it this fall at the college. We'll kind of see. But either this fall or next year, I'll be adding 2 Corinthians to the listener's commentary. And while we're on the note of the listener's commentary, another thing for you to be aware of is the listener's commentary, which if you're not familiar with that, that's where I teach straight through 
uh, books of the New Testament, just chunk by chunk, and try to lay out, here's what this book says, to help you hear them well, and then I give a few reflections to help you heed it a little bit. Um, so that's the listener's commentary. Well, the listener's commentary is now on the Version Bible app. So if you use the Bible app on your phone, um, you can actually listen to the listener's commentary right there in uh, the app. And so if you just click like Discover, where you find like reading plans and podcasts, uh, you should be able to find the listener's commentary right there. In fact, the listening on the Bible app has become the primary way my wife listens to the listener's commentary. She just has found that the way they have it set up is super helpful to her, and so she listens there. So you might check that out as well. One last thing, and then we'll jump into the content, and that's this, that um, Bible and Life podcast is part of the Bible and Life online ministry, which includes this podcast, includes a listener's commentary, uh, includes the Bible study hub that I'm working on building out slowly but surely over on the listener's commentary website. All of that's under this rubric of the Bible in Life online ministry. And uh, this whole ministry is crowdfunded, listener-supported ministry. So thanks a ton to those of you who make this possible. Uh, you're having an impact all around the world through your financial support. So I just want to say thanks a ton for that. And if you've been on the fence about helping out, this is a great time to jump in as the listener's commentary is really growing and there's more and more people listening to it and the needs uh, as a result are kind of growing. And so if you're um, interested and willing to help out, you can just go to uh, johnwhitaker.net um, and you can... Click the Give button there, and you can set up a one-time or a monthly donation there. All right. With that, let's jump into the content of this episode. Uh, we have been just looking at the, the person and the work and the role of the Holy Spirit um, in God's plan of redemption and in our own life as followers of Jesus. And that has grown out of just questions I've had, even from my own daughter-in-law. I was like, man, I just feel like I need to understand the Holy Spirit some more. And so uh, I've got several of those kind of questions over the last little bit and thought I'd just spend some time on it. So that's what we've been talking about. And the thing we emphasized in last week's episode is that the Christian life could aptly be described as life in the Spirit. And in fact, Walking with the Spirit really is at the heart of that. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who renews us. He seals us as belonging to God, right? He's the guarantee of our resurrection. The Holy Spirit helps us resist sin. Holy Spirit testifies uh, that we are the children of God. Holy Spirit helps us pray. All these things that the New Testament says the Spirit does for us and through us and in us as followers of Jesus. And so the Christian life is really life in the Spirit. That's what we talked about. And so the Spirit's primary work and primary role at this stage in salvation history, where we're at now that Jesus has come, his primary role is to help God's people live as and become what God has called them to be, um, who God has appointed them to be. So we are God's children. The Spirit's going to help us live like that. Um, we are God's people in this world. We are the light of the world. The Spirit's going to help us live like that. And so his primary role is to help us be who we already are in Christ and help us live out what God has called us to do and to be here in this world. That's the Spirit's primary role. 
And what I want to do in the next couple episodes is just look at maybe a few specific passages and just walk down through like a particular text about the Spirit. And what does this teach us then about life in the Spirit and living as God's people by the Spirit today? And so on this episode, I want to focus on Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is one of the key texts in Paul's writings about walking by the Spirit and about life in the Spirit. Um, Romans 8 Actually, the way it fits into the context of the the letter of Romans, Romans 8 provides the answer to the problem described in Romans 7. So if you're familiar with the book of Romans, Romans 7 is one of those well-known passages in the book of Romans, particularly the second half of it, where Paul describes this problem of obeying God. Like he wants to, he says, but he struggles to. And scholars debate that second half of Romans, you know, like exactly how should we read that? How should we understand that? It's clear in context that Paul is describing a problem induced by his relationship to God's law. So I tend to think that he's talking about, this is what it was like to try to follow God without the Spirit while I was trying to do it by virtue of the Torah, by the law. That's the way I tend to read that. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that whatever that problem is there at the end of Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, right? And that whole problem that Paul describes, the answer to that problem in the flow of Paul's thought is Romans chapter 8. Um, And here's what he says in Romans 8. He picks up after describing this angsty problem at the end of chapter 7, Paul says, there is therefore now, like that was the case then, right? Like trying to obey God's law, uh, you know, without the spirit and all that, man, that was tough, right? Like that, but, but here's the answer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so for those who are followers of Jesus and who are in Christ and who have given their allegiance to Jesus, they've moved from being in the world to in Christ. They've moved from being under the law to in Christ. They've moved to this new location of in Jesus. And in Jesus, there's no condemnation. Why not? Well, Paul goes on to explain, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Several things to note out of verse 2. Notice the phrase, law of the spirit of life, law of sin and death. Those two stand in contrast there in verse 2. And uh, the reason they're worded the way they are is because Paul in chapter 7 was addressing the law. He was talking about the Old Testament law and how you're no longer under the law and how he says in Romans chapter 7 verse 5 that the spirit was given so that you could actually bear fruit for God because the law actually led you to to bear fruit for death. And so the law, the Old Testament law, was complicit with sin and death. And Paul has explained how that's the case. Not that the law itself is bad. He says the the Old Testament law is holy and righteous and good. It's a good thing. It just had bad raw material to work with. It had fleshly human beings who were fallen and in Adam. Well, now in Christ, since we're now under Christ, we don't just have are fallen in Adam nature, we've got the Spirit of God. Hence, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so, 
We are no longer dominated by sin and death. We're no longer under the law that was complicit with sin and death. We now have the Spirit. And notice he says, not should set you free or will set you free. He says in verse 2 that the law of the Spirit of life already has set you free from the law of sin and death. That sin and death is no longer our master. Sin and death is no longer our ultimate destiny. Sin and death is no longer our ultimate identity. It's no longer the one calling the shots in our life. The Spirit in Christ, the Spirit is now the one that leads our life and is in charge of our life. Paul then goes on to explain, verse 3, for what the law couldn't do, meaning the Old Testament law, weak as it was for the flesh. That was the problem with the law. It's not that the law was bad. It's that we were bad. We were in the flesh. And Paul actually says at the beginning of Romans 7, you know, that in Christ, you're no longer in the flesh. He says, when you were in the flesh. And that doesn't mean you don't have a body anymore. That means the flesh as the location dominated by sin and death and the fallenness and the weakness of in-Adam humanity. Well, we've moved. We've moved into Christ. And so we're under a new location. So for what the law, Old Testament law, couldn't do, weak as it was because of fallen humanity in the flesh, God did. God solved the problem for us. How did he do that? Well, he did that by sending his own son, um, in the likeness of sinful flesh, I mean, he was just as human as you and I, right? He, he looked just like any one of us, except his flesh wasn't fallen, right? And he sent him as an offering for sin. And in doing so, God condemned sin in the flesh. And look at the result of that, verse 4. God condemned sin in the flesh so that, here is the goal, here is the purpose, here is the result of that condemning sin, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so as a result of God condemning sin in and through Jesus' death, the result is the requirement of the law should be fulfilled in us. Um, it can be fulfilled in us. What's the requirement of the law? Well, again, scholars kind of debate the meaning of that word. The requirement of the law could be like the penalty for sin, um, or it could be the holiness of the law. And I tend to think it's that latter case here, that the requirement of the law is holiness. In other words, so that the holiness that the law intended to instruct us in and teach us how to have so that the holiness that the law required should be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so the flesh, as we've said, refers to humanity in Adam, humanity in its fallenness, humanity in its weakness. It is that tendency of fallen humanity uh, to be drawn towards rebellion, that tendency to be drawn towards wrongdoing, that weakness in of human resources to actually do what God wants us to do. So the, the law is teaching the, the way of God, and yet hum, humans, fallen human beings, were too weak and too prone towards wrongdoing and rebellion to actually keep it. But now in Christ, the Spirit has come. The Spirit has been given. And so the requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So how do we, how do we live a holy life? How do we fulfill the requirement of the law? Well, we do it by walking according to the Spirit. Now, we will talk more about this in... Uh, 
next week's episode and the episodes to come. And so we'll continually flesh out this idea of what it means to walk by the Spirit. But here's the primary thing for us to think about, at least at this point. Um, Walking in Paul's day was the primary way you got anywhere. They didn't have automobiles. They didn't have bicycles. Uh, The primary way you got anywhere was walking. And so walking becomes a metaphor for going about life. And so you walk according to the flesh or you walk according to the spirit. In other words, you go about life according to the values of, the desires of, the aims of the flesh, or you go about life according to the desires of, the ambitions of, the values of, and the aims of the spirit. And the spirit, therefore, is God's presence, as we've said, among us. And so it's God's values, God's aims, God's um, resources, and God's ability to actually do what God expects us to do. So the spirit has come to live with us, to enable us, uh, to live in partnership with us, to help us live according to the desires, values, ambitions, aims, and resources of God himself. Um, And so walk according to the spirit means going about your life in partnership with God's spirit. Like the spirit is God with you. The Spirit is God with us. And so as we go about our life, meaning your day, your week, right? You involve the Spirit in that. You do that in partnership with Him, that the Spirit is your walking partner in life. Think back to the very beginning of the Bible when uh, God first made humans um, and God placed them in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was like this, this, a place for humans and God to interact and to meet and to uh, commune together and to plan together, right? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, right, like God would come and walk with them in the cool of the evening in the garden. God was their walking partner in the Garden of Eden. Well, that is being restored now in and through the Spirit, God himself in the person of the Spirit, has come to live with us, and he wants to be our walking partner in life. And so as we go about life, we do so in partnership with him. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Now, what does that look like in concrete practice? Well, it's a good question, and there's probably some variety in that. It's going to look different depending on different people's schedule, patterns, rhythms, wiring, right, personality traits. But there's a great little book just called Walking in the Spirit by Kenneth Birding. It's my one of my favorite books on this topic because Kenneth Birding is actually a New Testament scholar, but he's also lived as a missionary, very clear writer, very down-to-earth, and uh, he's got this great, really simple, readable book that goes through some of the key passages on uh, life in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. I'll actually put a link to the book down in the notes below. So if you're interested in ordering the book, you can check it out. Again, it's not a big book. It's an easy read, really practical, really helpful. In this chapter on walking in the Spirit, he actually just gives a paragraph where he says, let's just imagine a day in the life of someone who's living their life in partnership with the Spirit. Let me just read you a little bit of what he says in this description. 
he puts it like this. He says, imagine your, your alarm goes off in the morning and the first thing you do is you pray, Lord, I want to walk with you during this day. You pull your tired body off the mattress with the prayer, I need your help even to get going today. Your first spiritual action of the day is to tangibly express love to each member of your family using a hug, a touch, or a word of genuine care. Then you spend some time meditating on a section of scripture and take a walk, or maybe you sit, or maybe you kneel for uh, a moment of prayer where you cry out to God for his grace for the day ahead. Uh, you get into your car with the awareness that one of your weaknesses is the way in which you respond to bad drivers. But before your mind gets carried away, uh, you breathe a prayer for God's grace to give you patience on the road. You forgive your boss or your teacher, colleague, brother, or coworker with the help of the Spirit as that uh, so very difficult person once again says, you know what you know, and they once again make uh, life painful for you. You suppress a word of gossip that is trying to creep from your heart towards your mouth uh, with prayer and with the help of the Spirit, and you turn your eyes away from something you shouldn't gaze upon. He goes on describing the day, and then he says, During your drive home, you think about the concrete ways you can serve your family, and then you ask the Spirit to fill you with strength to live out your convictions, even at the end of a long day. Uh, you end your day with thankfulness. Uh, for the Spirit sustaining grace throughout the day that has just passed as you begin now to prepare to go to bed. Simple description, and again, it's going to look different for uh, each and every one of us, but the point is, is all throughout the day, you, the Spirit is your partner in dealing with whatever you face that day. And you have some planned activities like your morning meditating on Scripture he mentioned and morning prayer time. You have some planned activities, maybe at the end of the day, right? You recite the Lord's Prayer perhaps, or you have a, a review of the day intentionally where you just talk to God about the things that have happened that day and and thank him for how he helped you, right? But the Spirit is involved in every part of your day. That's what it means to walk by, or maybe better, walk with the Spirit. He is your walking partner as you go about your life. For the Apostle Paul, that is the fundamental command, that is the prerequisite command to every other command of the New Testament. If we want to keep the commands of God, we first need to learn how to walk in partnership with the Spirit, and then the Spirit will progressively and increasingly help us become the kind of people who can routinely and regularly do what God wants us to do. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit, and walking by the Spirit is the solution to the problem of the flesh. All right, that's the first little bit of Romans 8 and what it means to walk by the Spirit. We'll dig into it a little bit more on next week's episode. We'll actually look even at the following verses here, verses 5 and 6, and the idea of uh, what your mind is set on and how that can help us walk by the Spirit. But that gets us started, at least, where we begin to picture the Spirit as our walking partner in life, uh, giving us strength and guiding us as we go about all the details of our life. So I pray that's helpful to you as you seek to follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible and Life. Thanks again to all of you who make this ministry possible by your faithful support. May God bless you, may he keep you, may he strengthen you, and may through you he make his light shine to the world around you. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again next week.